TED Audio Collective. Here's the hard truth. Feeling like a good person or being viewed as a good person is not the same as acting in ways that are aligned with our values. In fact, our desire to protect our image as a, quote, good person can have the opposite effect. Now, that's according to Dolly Chug, a professor at the NYU Stern School of Business and author of the book, The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias. She's also a dear friend and someone I consider a soul sister, which is why I'm so excited that she's here with me today to talk more about this good person thing. There's a little bit of kind of ego in there of like mm-hmm. wanting to protect that identity of being a good person. So that there's there's something about how I'm seen uh, by others and how I feel about myself. So Dolly wants us to stop trying to be good and to start being goodish. Goodish is a place of growth and learning. Instead of this binary tightrope, it's this real space of like expansiveness mm. um, when I'm goodish and I'm taking risks. So, what does it look like to expand and take some risks? This is TED Business. I'm Madupa Akinola. And in this talk, Dolly is going to help us move away from our fixed ideas of what it means to be good in the hopes that we can be better. And afterwards, she and I are going to have an honest, vulnerable conversation about the times we've messed up and how we learned from them. What we need to tell ourselves is that I am a work in progress when it comes to being a good person. You'll hear more after a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners, we're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter, too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled, too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. 
Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. So a friend of mine was riding in a taxi to the airport the other day. And on the way, she was chatting with the taxi driver. And he said to her with total sincerity, I can tell you are a really good person. And when she told me this story later, she said she couldn't believe how good it made her feel, that it meant a lot to her. Now, that may seem like a strong reaction from my friend to the words of a total stranger, but she's not alone. I'm a social scientist. I study the psychology of good people. And research in my field says many of us care deeply about feeling like a good person and being seen as a good person. Now, your definition of good person and your definition of good person and maybe the taxi driver's definition of good person, we we may not all have the same definition. But within whatever our definition is, that moral identity is important to many of us. Now, if somebody challenges it, like they question us for a joke we tell, or maybe they say our workforce is homogenous, or a slippery business expense, we go into red zone defensiveness a lot of the time. I mean, sometimes we call out all the ways in which we help people from marginalized groups, where we donate to charity, or the hours we volunteer to nonprofits. We work to protect that good person identity. It's important to many of us. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that our attachment to being good people is getting in the way of us being better people? What if I told you that our definition of good person is so narrow, it's scientifically impossible to meet? And what if I told you the path to being better people just begins with letting go of being a good person. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the research about how the human mind works to explain. The brain relies on shortcuts to do a lot of its work. It means a lot of the time, your mental processes are taking place outside of your awareness, like in low-battery, low-power mode in the back of your mind. That's, in fact, the premise of bounded rationality. Bounded rationality is the Nobel Prize-winning idea that the human mind has limited storage resources, limited processing power. And as a result, it relies on shortcuts to do a lot of its work. So, for example, some scientists estimate that in any given moment, like, better, better click, right? There we go. (laughs) At any given moment, 11 million pieces of information are coming into your mind. 11 million and only 40 of them are being processed consciously. So 11 million, 40. I mean, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had a really busy day at work, and you drive home, and when you get in the door, you realize you don't even remember the drive home? Like whether you had green lights or red lights, 
don't even remember, you were on autopilot. Or have you ever opened the fridge, looked for the butter, swore there's no butter, and then realized the butter was right in front of you the whole time? This, these are the kind of whoops moments that make us giggle, and this is what happens in a brain that can handle 11 million pieces of information coming in with only 40 being processed consciously. That's the bounded part of bounded rationality. This work on bounded rationality is what's inspired work I've done with my collaborators Max Bazerman and Mazarin Banaji on what we call bounded ethicality. So it's the same premise as bounded rationality, that we have a human mind that is bounded in some sort of way and relying on shortcuts, and that those shortcuts can sometimes lead us astray. With bounded rationality, perhaps it affects the cereal we buy in the grocery store uh, or the product we launch in the boardroom. With bounded ethicality, the human mind, the same human mind, is making decisions. And here it's about who to hire next or what joke to tell or that slippery business decision. So let me give you an example of bounded ethicality at work. Unconscious bias is one place where we see the effects of bounded ethicality. So unconscious bias refers to associations we have in our mind, the shortcuts your brain is using to organize information very likely outside of your awareness, not necessarily lining up with your conscious beliefs. Researchers Nosek Banaji and Greenwald have looked at data from millions of people. And what they found is, for example, most white Americans can more quickly and easily associate white people and good things than black people and good things. And most men and women can more quickly and easily associate men and science than women and science. And these associations don't necessarily line up with what people consciously think. They may have very egalitarian views, in fact. So sometimes that 11 million and that 40 just don't line up. Here's another example. Uh, conflicts of interest. So we tend to underestimate how much a small gift, imagine a ballpoint pen or dinner, how much that small gift can affect our decision-making. We don't realize that our mind is unconsciously lining up evidence to support the point of view of the gift giver, no matter how hard we're consciously trying to be objective and professional. We also see bounded ethicality. Despite our attachment to being good people, we still make mistakes. And we make mistakes that sometimes hurt other people, that sometimes promote injustice despite our best attempts. And we explain away our mistakes rather than learning from them. Like, for example, when I got an email from a female student in my class saying that a reading I had assigned, a reading I had been assigning for years, was sexist. Or when I confuse two students in my class of the same race, look nothing alike when I confuse them for each other more than once in front of everybody. These kind of mistakes send us, send me 
into red zone defensiveness. They leave us fighting for that good person identity. But the latest work that I've been doing on bounded ethicality with Mary Kern says that we're not only prone to mistakes. That tendency to mistakes towards mistakes depends on how close we are to that red zone. So most of the time, nobody's challenging our good person identity, and so we're not thinking too much about the ethical implications of our decisions. And our model shows that we're then spiraling towards less and less ethical behavior most of the time. On the other hand, somebody might challenge our identity, or upon reflection, we may be challenging it ourselves. So. The ethical implications of our decisions become really salient, and in those cases, we spiral towards more and more good person behavior, or to be more precise, towards more and more behavior that makes us feel like a good person, which isn't always the same, of course. The idea with bounded ethicality is that we are perhaps overestimating the importance our inner compass. Is playing in our ethical decisions. We perhaps are overestimating how much our self-interest is driving our our decisions, and perhaps we don't realize how much our self-view as a good person is affecting our behavior. That in fact we're working so hard to protect that good person identity, to keep out of that red zone, that we're not actually giving ourselves. Space to learn from our mistakes and actually be better people. It's perhaps because we expect it to be easy. We have this definition of good person that's either or: either you are a good person or you're not; either you have integrity or you don't; either you are a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or you're not. And in this either-or definition, there's no room to grow. And by the way, this is not this is not what we do in most parts of our lives. Like, if you needed to learn accounting, you would take an accounting class. Or if you become a parent, we pick up a book and we read about it. We talk to experts. We learn from our mistakes. We update our knowledge. We just keep getting better. But when it comes to being a good person, we think it's something we're just supposed to know. We're just supposed to do, without the benefit. Of effort or growth, so what I've been thinking about is: what if we were to just forget about being good people, just let it go, and instead set a higher standard, a higher standard of being a goodish person, a goodish person absolutely still makes mistakes. As a goodish person, I'm making them all the time, but as a goodish person, I'm trying to learn from them. Own them. I expect them, and I go after them. I understand there are costs to these mistakes. When it comes to issues like ethics and bias and diversity and inclusion, there are real costs to real people, and I accept that. As a goodish person, in fact, I become better at noticing my own mistakes. I don't wait for people to point them out. I practice finding them, and as a result. Sure. Sometimes it can be embarrassing. It can be uncomfortable. We put ourselves in a vulnerable place sometimes. But through all that vulnerability, just like in everything else we've tried to ever get better at, 
we see progress, we see growth, we allow ourselves to get better. Why wouldn't we give ourselves that? In every other part of our lives, we give ourselves room to grow, except in this one, where it matters most. Thank you. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is a lot of things. Odoo is award-winning management software. Odoo is total control of your entire company in one place. Odoo is a suite of fully integrated applications for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. Basically, Odoo is what your business needs to succeed. So if you're ready to get more done in less time, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. Odoo. Business management made simple. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks running shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Growth. So much easier said than done. I mean, they're called growing pains for a reason. So I asked Dolly what to do during those times when we come face-to-face with the limits of our goodness. We started the conversation by sharing examples of when our desires to be good got in the way of what she considers a more elastic state of being goodish. I went first. I actually, probably two months ago, officially included my pronouns Mm -hmm. on my signature, on my Mm -hmm. email signature. Mm Mm-hmm. And I felt really good about that. Like, I've mm-hmm. done that. And not only that, but I included the name of the Native American tribe whose land mm-hmm. I live on in my mm-hmm. signature, the mm-hmm. Lenape. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I was sharing it with a friend. And they were like, you just did that? Like, you just mm-hmm. figured out how to act? And in my mind, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Do you have the Native lands on your... Mm-hmm. Do you have the... And so to me, that was, mm-hmm. oh, I'm in good mode not necessarily good-ish mode because some of it was about the ego of doing something that I had resisted for a little bit. Um, So that was one of the first things that came to my mind when I heard your talk, thought about your talk, and thought about the most recent behavior I engaged in like that. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. I love that. And, and, it illustrates a little bit of the cookie seeking we all do, you know, when we want some validation, it's such a universal, very human thing. So for me, uh, I assigned a reading for my students and, you know, had a student reach out and say, you know, I'm really surprised you assigned such a sexist reading. And it was, you know, a classic in our field, this this particular reading. So that one, I just was like, it, it took me a minute, like a couple of days. To re- Usually I'm a quick email responder. That one sat while I kind of fumed, mm, mm. fumed, like I'm a feminist. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And finally, like two days later, um, I open up the reading to respond, you know, to sort of 
help this misguided student realize her errors. You know, I like open up the reading and I read the paragraph that she referred to and it was sexist. I mean, mm. it was, it was like, oh my gosh, I, not only did I assign it, I didn't see it. Like I'd read the reading a million times and it was so normalized in my mind that women love shopping, which it was something like along those lines <laughs> uh-huh. that it didn't even hit me. Like it just went over my head. Um, and so that was, you know, I, that the good person mentality was this, I'm a good person. How dare you? And in mm-hmm. my mind, definition of good person is not a racist, not a sexist, not a homophobe, not a, you know, all, all the things. And, um, instead of like having somebody who, by the way, this was a student who I had every reason to believe was coming from a good place. Like I already right. knew this student a little bit. Right. She took, she was taking a risk, challenging a professor. Like there was no reason to doubt her, her good faith intentions. And yet still I immediately just like, yeah, it's like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So that was like this brittle, like I'm a good person. Don't, mm-hmm. don't you try to tell me mm-hmm. otherwise. And two days later, when I calmed down a little bit, mainly because I realized I was wrong and therefore I better calm down. Um, I was able to step back a little bit and move into that goodish space. And I think this mm-hmm. is actually a useful tool for a lot of us yeah. is to have your flagship example of when you were able to shift from good to goodish and know what that felt like. And meet my, like my shoulders literally loosened. So it's this idea that we are more flexible than we think we are. Our identities are more flexible and it doesn't need to feel like an identity attack. In this work to be goodish, we're going to make mistakes and people are going to give us feedback on that. But we're also going to need to apologize. What do you think some of the key elements of an effective apology might include? I love that you brought that up because that's a really critical part of being goodish is the accountability. Um, sometimes because goodish is sort of a cutesy term, people might misunderstand that I'm minimizing the real harm that we sometimes do with our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's more a matter of how do we not replicate the harm? And that's where yep. the apology comes in. So uh, the first thing, apology needs to be accountability period. So it's not, I'm sorry if you were offended. That's pushing right. the accountability <laughs> to the other person. It's not um, um, what I really meant was that's excusing uh, the, the mistake that was made. It's literally, I am so sorry for the harm I did, period. Mm. That's where the sentence mm-hmm. stops. I am so sorry for the pain I have caused. I am so sorry for the ignorance I have shown. Mm. That's the accountability piece. And then the next piece is the commitment to doing better the next time. So here we want to be careful that we're not placing that responsibility on the other person um, by expecting them to educate us. You can request, so an apology of, I'm so sorry for the harm I have done, period, could be followed by, if you are willing, I am open to hearing more of your perspective. Or if Mm. you're open to answering questions, I have some. But that's a request, not a demand Mm. or expectation that is your job to educate me, that that emotional labor um, is is expected of anyone else. Um, Google is a really powerful tool. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) 
It is. I'm sorry. You can Google that. Um, so, you know, obviously if there's a very specific situation, you can't Google like what happened right. in that moment, but there's a lot you can do to sort of bring some awareness to yourself. And so uh, I am so sorry for the harm I have caused, period, might be followed by, I'm going to go do some work on my own and see yep. what see see um, what I can learn and see how I can do better in the in the future. Yep. And then if you're willing, would love to have a follow-up conversation. Exactly. And I totally understand if that's not something you want to do. Ooh, I like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm so grateful to Dolly for being on the show today. And as I said earlier, the title of her book is The Person You Mean to Be. And I always joke with her and say that she's the person I mean to be. And you may feel the same way after this episode. So if you're interested in learning more about her work, check out her monthly newsletter called Dear Good People. That's it for this week. This episode was produced by Cosmic Standard with the help of Asia Simpson and Eliza Smith. It was fact-checked by Eliza Solomon and our mixer is Sam Baer. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Grace Rubenstein, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhu Bakanola. Talk to you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>